Hi, I'm Sienna. Hi, I'm Christina. And you're listening to Behind the Curtains Podcast, a podcast brought to you by English Touring Theatre. Join us as we chat to some of the amazing creatives and movers and shakers in the world of theatre off the stage. From directors to producers to choreographers, production managers, writers and dialect coaches, we're spotlighting the folks that are the backbone of the industry. We'll be reflecting on life and work in a pandemic and thinking ahead to what the future might hold in these uncertain times. Our guests will also tell you their stories and share their career journeys, each unique to them. So in this episode, we are thrilled to be joined by the Holder Sisters, otherwise known. <laughs> I'm like, I'm making that a thing, I'm making that a thing. <laughs> so we've got producer Alison Holder and we have actress and voice and dialect coach Hazel Holder. So welcome to our space, ladies. Welcome, welcome, welcome. Thank you. Yes, Thank welcome. You. Thank you. I mean, firstly, it's just it just needs to be noted that um, we've had Alison as our technical producer this whole time, so she's already accustomed to this conversation, but it's going to be a bit different being on the other side, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. I'm actually feeling <laughs> a bit nervous. It's strange. I've <laughs> 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 listened to about four different episodes, but it's fine. It's fine. So I've got some really awesome um, bios from you both. Alison Holder is an independent producer currently working as interim producer for Tallowa Theatre Company, company producer for Helen Chadwick's Song Theatre and producer for The Mono Box. Previously, Alison was an English Touring Theatre Forge Associate and producing coordinator at the Bush Theatre. And through audio platform Luna Productions, work includes Bernardo's Black History and Una Marston Speaks and Single for BBC Radio 4 which is awesome. <laughs> yes. Yeah. And also our producer as well. Yeah. Our technical Yay. producer. Yeah. We must add that credit in yes, there. Yes, please. <laughs> and Hazel has worked as an actor and singer for over 25 years, retraining in 2014 as a voice and dialect coach at the Royal Central School of Speech and Drama. Her TV credits include Steve McQueen's Small Acts for BBC and Amazon, the Power, Sitting in Limbo, which was a Windrush story. I remember that, that one. Show, yeah. yeah, that was brilliant. And Noughts and Crosses by Mallory Blackman, which is a classic book which was made into um, a TV series, which was amazing. And actors that Hazel has worked closely with include Letitia Wright, John Biego, and Papa Edisu, to name just a few from her sparkling roaster. So just to kind of jump straight into the questions with you. So as we know, you are the Holder Sisters. <laughs> made that a thing. <laughs> This is a new thing for you guys. So as sisters both working in the arts, how has your journey into theatre differed and what inspired you to have a career in theatre? So what inspired me to get into theatre was actually our older brother, Roy, who has since passed on. But he was in theatre and he was it. He was an actor and he went to drama school. And so he did that whole route and... So I used to go and watch his shows and literally think, I want to do that. I mean, I, you know, I, I was a show off as a child anyway, so it was totally in me. But of course, being from a black working class background, it wasn't something that I thought could actually be a career path um, until Roy went and did his um he did the evening course at Mount View and then when I saw the production I was like oh and then he was in a, a touring production of a show 
Um, and so it was, it, that was the inspiration really, but it was absolutely definitely the kind of like the, the get up and, and dance around in front of the family and bore them all to tears was definitely in my blood. Um, and also our father, you know, plays in a steel band, my mum in her church, she's one of the leaders, she's someone that, you know, is kind of that high profile in the sense that people go to her and ask her advice and, and she's, so she's in a position of, I think there was just always this idea that we didn't kind of like shrink and disappear into the background. Um, but definitely seeing my brother perform and knowing that he went to drama school gave me the impetus to kind of go, right, I'm going to go for it. And that hopefully, you know, my parents will be behind my decision. Um, but also at the same time, I didn't know that it could be a full career because he was working. He was working in a normal, you know, not, I say normal, but he was working in a nine to five job and going to drama school in the evening. So there was still that idea that, you know, you kind of had to earn money somewhere else in order to be an actor. Um, but by the time, you know, everything moves on slightly with each generation. So by the time I actually came to leave drama school, you know, there was the possibility that I could actually earn a career from that. And how about you, Alison? Uh, it's great. I mean, I, I didn't really have plans to get into theatre, really. I just, um, I, we grew up in Luton. When I was a, came to an age that I could leave, I just wanted to move to London. So I was willing to do anything, really. And I, um, I actually got, my first job was at BBC London Radio, um, doing, working on the afternoon radio show then, which was then with um, Lisa Ianson, she was the, the presenter, um, and they, she shared it with Sonia Diol, and I was the broadcast assistant on that. And so it was only for a short contract, um, and I was living in Islington, and it came to an end, and um, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do, but of course, having the influences of my older brother and sister had gone, gone into theatre, I thought, well, maybe I just should just get a job there to sort of keep myself ticking over. And somebody had mentioned that, um, that the local theatre was having a refurb, and they were looking for there might be some jobs up there and that that theatre was the Almeida so I um I, I went up and I literally knocked on the the hoardings because it was still being kind of refurbished and and the the um uh the theatre manager came to the door and sort of said what you know I basically said what jobs are there what have you got <laughs> and uh she said she was amazing um Ginny she's an Australian woman who just came back to London and she was so open and uh offered me the double usher shift on saturday so a matinee and evening shift she said that's all we've got left um it's yours if you want it no interview no, nothing just if you want it come and join us you, you seem inquisitive you seem curious and so that that's where it began for me i just um started started as an usher love that another unconventional one well it's weird though because it's unconventional but in a way it is but you started like as an usher but the main thing is that you were understanding you needed to be in the space yeah, yeah, I needed to, yeah, and it was all, it was all still new, it's, it, there wasn't any desire to continue a career in theatre, it was just that I needed a job at the time, and then when I was there, because it was a small theatre, I was able to, I would, then the curiosity again took over, and it was like, okay, well what does that person do, what, what's, what's an ASM, what does that involve, what does that mean, and they, they let me do it, they let me sort of shadow someone, and I got involved, and I was in an ASM for a bit, and then 
it was can a you trust, just say, explain what an asn is please? an assistant stage manager yeah and then one night um it was a press night and one of the box office staff uh didn't turn up so they needed they asked one of the ushers to just help them give out press night tickets so i volunteered to do it and um it was a really really busy night i remember it was quite frantic and um the box office manager rachel sort of at the end of the in going said you handled that really well you're really calm and um you 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 got on really well with the patrons do you want to do you want to become part of the box office team and so i was like yeah okay give it a go whatever whatever i need to do <laughs> i'll try it out yeah and so it was um and so i was able to just sort of look over there and try this and try that i got involved with the educational department and got involved with workshops and and what have you and, and working with the local schools and the local communities um and that's when i really started to get the bug that's where i really started to enjoy the different elements of the of the theater world there but i wanted to sort of change my perspective um and ch- and also change um you know the the almeida has a, a particular audience and i wanted to see what else there was um available and what and uh, different people that I can interact with. And so I saw a job come up at the Young Vic and um, I think Hazel, you'd done a show, you'd probably done a show by then. Um, uh, by then Beauty it was, two th- yeah, 2002 and I'd done Sleeping Beauty um, yeah. that was written by Rufus Norris. So it was, and I remember seeing that and thinking I'd never seen anything like that before and it was really exciting. And I remember being in the space and seeing such a, um, a much more diverse audience that I was sitting amongst and re- that really sort of stuck with me and I thought I, I want to work here I want to work here how do I get to work here and then a job came up um, in the box office and I took it and it was a, it was the same thing again it was just you know David Lan and the team there were so open if you wanted to get involved in any other area of the company you can just put your hand up and ask and so I got involved with the um, I did some a little bit with the two boroughs um, project there and, and did some work with the community and got involved with workshops um, alongside doing the box office work so it was really very much um, again informing um, my view of theatre world and getting involved in different areas of um, of that that building which I, I really enjoyed yeah it feels like quite different journeys actually Alison's been a bit more wow it just kind of came yeah. along and yeah. I just went yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Hazel, Hazel's approach is a little bit different I think but it sounds to me I don't know would you argue or do you what do you think about the statement that it sounds like maybe theatre was a bit more open then than it is now because you're talking about people were just very open to you saying I want this shift mm. or I'd like to do this sure try that I don't know that doesn't I can't relate to that basically as someone so, working in theatre like yeah, being a bit younger and working theatre now, I just I just wonder if it feels like it was more open then than now. Yeah, I do question that. I do question whether it was of the time, but I also think it's the people. You know, Ginny was the one that um, she's this kind of she was this larger than life, you know, Australian who um, was just an open person and was willing to accept anybody um, and didn't really need to know about my backstory. She was just willing to give me a chance. Um, and when I was in there, you know, I have to give props to Michael Attenborough, actually. He was running the theatre at the time. He was like, yeah, whatever you would, you know, I had to get his permission. Then I had to get um, other people's permission. But it sort of came from the top down. And it was like, yeah, if you want to give it a go, just just ask. I, you know, I give you permission to just go and ask the question and, and go and um, uh, uh, be inquisitive. And then the same at the at the Young Vic, you know, there's David Lan, there's Sue Emma. There were so mm. many different people that were just open to letting me. Um, try things and get involved and and I think once people could see that you were just curious and wanted to get involved 
it, there's definitely a feeling, I think, that it's a little bit more um, closed shop now. Mm, and yes. then it's more about who you know yes. as yes. to how you, you know, navigate those spaces, which I think, you know, is a shame because it means that you are, you know, missing people who could offer your organisation, I mean... Um, productions who you know a lot and who also will grow something within them that really informs theatre you know in the next 10, 10 years you know and hopefully not even 10 years but in the next five years you know yeah that's um that's interesting that's an interesting thought to leave in the air I think um so kind of moving our conversation on a little bit but you've actually both touched on it um which I find really great and I was going to talk about it's a conversation that's recurring because we're obviously speaking to black folks. So this thing about kind of, okay, career in the arts, how did your family react? And the interesting <laughs> thing, <laughs> and the interesting thing is that obviously you start talking about, actually you have, you know, your brother, um, Roy, he was, he kind of paved the way in many yeah. ways. Um, and so that meant maybe it was easier than for you, Hazel, mm. and then for you, Alison, to kind of do that. But I'm thinking to myself, your parents, were they like, all right, the first one, then the second one, then the third one, like, where's yeah. the lawyer? Where's the doctor? Where's the engineer? You know, it's like, oh, what are we do? What are we doing? <laughs> <laughs> what are we done? So can you just talk, so yeah, talk to us about how, I mean, I don't know if actually you're, I always think to be honest, our parents and grandparents, even if they don't think it, they're creative people. They've had to create. Yeah you know yes. many times over and even if they don't see themselves that they've had to create but like do you come from a creative family in that way and like how did your parents react when you were all just like we're gonna try and make an actual career from this whether you like it or not my friends like how did that convo go uh, i i have to start by saying my parents didn't know i um i when i left school I went to um, Dunstable College to do a secretarial and business course for two years. And whilst I was on that course, um, as part of kind of like business training, we were asked to um, we were asked to set up a company. And of course, I set up a theatre company. So, <laughs> so um, and then we had to do something with the company to create funds in order to show that, you know, we could deal with every kind of step from starting the company to then distributing funds that you create. So then what I did was I then set up a show. And this little finessing. You know, this is like 16, 17. And I mean, to be quite honest, I was even surprised that the, the, um, that the college even gave us the facilities to do do that with but that's what I did is that I put together a show and it was um you know and I just ended up getting people that were on um different courses to come and perform in this show and I also performed in the show but that was at the end of my first year and for me the fact that I did that solidified the fact that I really needed to work in the performing arts and so um, whilst I was going through that, someone else I knew had said to me, there's an audition going at another um, college. Why don't you go and audition at that college? Because it's a performing arts college. So I went and auditioned, got a role, uh, got a role, got a, um, a, a uh, what, oh, I was accepted onto the course. And then I decided that I would leave the secretarial and business course and join the other course without telling my parents. And so they only found out when I'd finished 
the the full course and I said to them actually I've been going to Hitchin and I've been doing this and because obviously your brother still held down an, another job so at least they kind of were like well he's got another job at least but then you're like nah not even to the other job no exactly <laughs> exactly I was just like and then all the conversations about what you're going to do when you finish college and I was just thinking I wanted to sing and dance, you know. <laughs> <laughs> one of our guests, Maddie, was saying one phrase that I thought was so funny, but like obviously very personal. She was saying how her dad was like, "We didn't come to this country for you to go sing and dance." <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> and it's just yeah. So that sentiment as well of like, come on now, can you like yeah. understand it, our story a little bit? Absolutely, and that was the thing is that inside of me, that it's a bit like I think being in love at that time, isn't it? Because you think if you fall in love with someone at that age that you're going to be with them forever and ever and ever and they're going to love you and you're going to love them and you know and um so at that time I just thought I can't I literally can't see myself doing anything else except being on stage and so it wasn't even the thought of television it was because again that was another few steps away and completely out of reach it was about being on stage and that was a possibility for me as I started to get to know other people and realise that, oh, not everyone comes from a privileged background who's doing this. Love that. What about you then? Um, did you have to be as creative or by the time you were coming through, your siblings had paved the way and your parents were like, oh, do what They'd you need totally to do? They totally paved the way. My, I think my, <laughs> my parents didn't even bat an eyelid. They didn't even bat an eyelid because by They'd then, be surprised if you weren't. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally, I think, because, you know, I... I was, I'd moved to London, I was working at the Almeida, uh, I was working at the Young, I think by the time I got to the Young Vic, um, because that, I went into that job as a box office manager, or yeah, box office manager, um, it was like, well, I'm, I'm working, and the, the job is full time, and it just happens to be in this, in this industry, so they didn't even bat an eyelid when um, I said that, that, they were sort of resigned to the fact that that was what it was going to be so so yeah that. so thank you hazel for paving yeah, the way, paving the way. <laughs> thanks very much for doing all that it. hustle yeah. yeah exactly love that just in regards to you two as sisters you both worked on many projects over the years if you could work on a project together with any budget you wanted what would it be and why Ooh. oh my gosh it might be the project the the doc we Broadstroke, we've got a documentary idea that um, mm. we want to do and we'd first pitched it to radio and um, they didn't take it. And so, but my first thought for it was, was always for TV. Um, mm. And uh, yeah, it, it, it looks, it looks at um, the, the Caribbean dialect, but that's all you're going to get. But, um, yeah. and I think, but that for me, that project, it would, it would be the first thing that we'd ever get to work on together wasn't it I don't think you've well no because I worked oh you I... did Booby's Bay no we oh, also after that oh, no. <laughs> so she's you working haven't worked on together much then there's also a, a, a there's also a, a solo project where I was performing in oh yeah that you that you were producing <laughs> for me <laughs> oh yeah Hazel's got a solo show I forgot about that one yeah. oh <laughs> Ironically, when you were talking about that, I thought you were talking about that one. <laughs> See, I'm thinking about the TV projects. He's thinking about the yeah. theatre project. But yeah. we can talk about yeah. the theatre project. That's a good, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that would be a really good one, actually, because we could have all the elements that we want 
yeah for that one it, yeah so it, and and it's um it's uh i'm it's loosely titled angel in twilight and it's celebrating black women i think that's the thing that so rather than going into too much detail because of course it's being made and it's being created and um we uh so we'd already had mike henry um right so we had romy smith a wonderful writer so she her i sent her the story uh and the story beat kind of ideas and she's put some things to created i love the way that she writes in kind of like long form poems um and so i said that's what i would love to kind of like deliver is that this piece is like a long form poem and um and that it's a, a love poem to um black women and so so she's put you know um three elements of that together and then mike henry had started doing some um he's composed some of that as well and then um we had a rehearsal and then we showed it to some of the ett producers as a showing because yeah yeah, yeah. So, it was yeah. June, it was when i was on the forge associate um it was at the end of that that process that we had um we did the sharing with um some some of the guys there so yeah it that would be a really that would be uh, if we had an unlimited budget i can already picture all the different elements that we grand want. that would be yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah that would oh, be a good one good yeah. to imagine yeah. 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 It's so nice that you guys have done well. You've got like all these kind of ideas that you kind of combine together, and that you've got stuff in the pipeworks mm. that you want to do together. It's really lovely to see like a duo as you two are. It's just, it's just so nice. Yeah. It's lovely. Yeah, and um, there's more to be honest that I would want to work. It, I mean, put it this way: if again money was no object. I would just want to be working with my sister all the time because we also have a shorthand about how to communicate things, you know. And also we then also have a good laugh because we'll call each other and we'll say, you know, things that have happened in our own kind of like days. And we'll just be, you know, and I feel uplifted by being able to talk to someone that understands the industry but also allows me to be really fully open and you know i don't have to edit my thoughts or edit myself when i'm talking to my sister you know So a question for you, Hazel, to do with dialect. So dialect is extremely important to theatre. Um, you know, we, we watch plays that could be set in America, in the Caribbean, it could be anywhere. Um, and what has been your highlight in your career as a dialect coach? And is there an accent that you favour and would like to maybe share with us <laughs> now? <laughs> Brilliant. So... I would say the project that has probably just on a in every kind of way at the moment that has really um, touched me as a human being as a black woman but also stretched me as a dialect coach is small acts because um, when we had the first initial interviews, you know, we're talking about 
um, six episodes that are now turning into films um, of... And normally when you think about these, you know, kind of like a continuing... It's not a continuing drama, but, you know, the episodic drama, you think of the audience being um, introduced to a group of people and then we get to see their story kind of like um, reveal itself through the next six episodes and so I was thinking great when initially it came up I was thinking great I can start looking at accents and start really um, Caribbean accents and really start delving deep into them and then I found out that actually each episode was going to be standalone and that we were going to be introducing new characters and a new storyline for each episode and so and that was going to be happening quite quickly on top of each other between we started filming I think it was the middle of June last year and we finished at the first week of December last year and um, with some weeks off, you know, in between, thankfully, in order to do some more research, that that kind of, for me, in terms of being a dialect coach, that really stretched me because I wasn't just dealing with one set of actors and, and several dialects over that time. It was new, 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 new. And so just really on a technical um artistic practitioner level I was stretched and I started to understand what I needed to look for in the accents that were going to help differentiate between the different Caribbean islands um, plus also you're working with so many different actors you're starting to go okay that actor does not need me to talk about that element of the dialect that doesn't help them or this really helps them or so you start to really kind of like flex that muscle of coach in a way that you know because you're you're in the swamp and it's like I, I don't mean swamp but it's like you're really having to just work to make sure that everyone has what they need at the right time you know it's um it it was a you know there were times where I literally thought I almost feel like I can't breathe because I have to go from one thing to another. But also at the same time, it's really great and it's really necessary because the stories are what we need to hear and we need to do the stories justice. We need to do my parents' generation justice and big them up. And it makes me think about, especially I know a lot of people maybe by this time, um, of listening to this podcast may have already seen Mangrove at um, BFI Festival or other festivals. Um, and it just makes me realise how much we missed celebrating people from that era who came first to the country, you know, en masse and really tried to create lives here. And so as you're reading the scripts, as you're watching it all unfold, it's like your energy goes into doing the best for people because not just the actors, but for the story and for the people who they are representing. And so for me, that is, you know, head and shoulders above um, everything else I've done at the moment because... Um, 
because it's so necessary, so necessary. And um, I feel really proud of myself that I was able to handle the rigor of that and also um, I feel really proud of the whole production, you know, of, of everything. And I saw, I watched Mangrove last week and, um, oh gosh, it just literally <laughs> blew my mind. Because even though I've been working on the ADR for it as well, so I started with the auditions last May and then I finished with ADR, I think, in the middle of um, August. I've been... Hazel, can you just um, tell us the acronym for those who don't know what ADR means? Oh, right additional dialogue recording so it's when the actor goes into the studio and re-records things that may have been not really caught perfectly on sound because there was a plane going past or a siren or, and even though we've done various takes you know you can't match up one takes dialogue to another um, take sometimes they actually have to stand in front of you know the screen and say it you know um, lip-syncing to themselves so um so yeah, so I feel like even though I'd seen bits of the ADR and we were doing all of that remotely um, through ADR, sorry, um, just seeing the whole of it and seeing the story unfold itself last week all in one. I mean, I re remember sitting at some point with my head in my hands with just like how these people... Hal Darkus, Hal, Frank Critchlow, Althea Jones, Laquant, Barbara Beast, they were pregnant whilst going through these stresses. And you just, I mean, it's almost like I don't even know what to say. It's just, you know, and I, I think to my own mother, who, again, you know, was having to put up with such rubbish from people, you know, who they managed to raise families and to stay mm -hmm. sane and to stay focused on what they know their life's goal is. So you just have to, you know, big them yeah. up, big them up. And you haven't told me your favourite accent. Oh. <laughs> so actually my favourite accent has come through, um, I, I did it before Small Acts, but I think the one I love the most is Trini. Oh my god, I yeah. love the Trini accent. It's so lyrical and like melodic and like yeah. And that's what I love about it is that it's like you feel sunshine in it. You know what I mean? You feel the sunshine in it's it. It's like a little, like a just like you know, like a calypso ice lolly or something. Yes. <laughs> it really is. It's so, it's so, so beautiful. And I watched a little bit of um, um, Mass Carib. Um, which was uh, a production that Felix Cross had put together, who's, who uh, used to run Nitro, and um, uh, and Martina Laird, I'm on the WhatsApp group with her, and she sent us the link on Sunday and said, you know, for if everyone wants to listen to it. And it tells the story of Trinidad through the kind of like the coming together, that intersection between European music um, African music and then the Caribbean uh, Calypso music and so it's performed with singers who sing classically who sing you know African you can hear music. the Calypso in the accent you can hear oh, it oh gosh it, exactly exactly and so I just remember yesterday after we were um, visiting dad for his birthday and just kind of like coming home and in the car and just you know just enjoying yourself and 
and just saying, well, life is good. Life mm, is good. Yeah, you know, like there are things that are challenging, but ultimately, it's good. Yeah, just to, so we'll switch things up a little bit then. Um, you've already started telling us a little bit about a typical day, but Alison, just to kind of um, chat to you for a moment as well. So obviously we've chatted to a few producers, you know, um, and it's quite a broad role. Um, so can you just maybe explain what a producer in your, in kind of in your world does and how important producers are to theatre? Um, is there actually a typical day for you, for example? No, there definitely isn't a typical day. I think even before COVID, there was never a typical day. Um, I think for me, for the the kind of producing that I do is quite varied in terms of the, the, the different um, projects that I like to do are always really varied. So, and that's that's the way I like it really. So, um, you know, I, I work part-time for Tallawa Theatre Company, as you know, and um, before lockdown, we were gearing up for um, a fantastic production called Run It Back, um, which sadly had to put the, put the pause on for a little bit, but that was, you know, all about dance hall culture and just um, mm. 10 amazing actors that were just, dancing and and yeah I mean with loud music and 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 bandanas and flat I mean it was just an incredible piece um of work that Coral Messam um has devised with, with with the group and so you know there's that there's that um which entails in a way a sort of um regular style of producing in terms of the fact that it's going to be in a building it's going to be in a theater um i'm dealing with the set designer the lighting designer the sound designer all those kind of things that you usually have um but i also produce for the mono box and at the mono box we um we do um we have workshops um we have events and so it's a different style of producing um and when lockdown kicked in um we decided to we had a podcast called speak share where um, Polly Bennett and Joan Iola, who are the co-founders um, of the Monobox, talk to an actor. They um, talk about their their route into acting, and at the end, they perform their favourite monologue. And we were doing some live um, versions of that. The last one we did was Sheila Atten and Kenneth Cranham. That was the last one we had just before lockdown. And we were gonna have um, Papa Esiedu and Marion Bailey do the next one, and then we couldn't do it. So we thought, well, why don't we get them to just record their favourite monologue? And we'll put that out as a podcast. And then the, the amazing Joan was sort of said, well, let's just ask all of our actor friends to put together some um, recordings. And what went from sort of two or three to maybe 10 to 20 was now 130 actors all sent wow. in their um, recordings. The, 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 the response was incredible. And so that was all audio producing. So I edited those um those monologues and we uploaded them we turned that around in something like two and a half to three weeks that's including getting permissions from writers from agents um and getting getting everybody to record it send it in um, edit and upload so that's a really completely different um style of producing of course uh but it was really invigorating and kind of just what we needed during that shock of what are we going to do now you know how can we how can we um, keep things going at the Monobox and keep people engaged and inspire them and keep them um, uplifted? The response from the industry, the love that we got from the industry, um, the love that we got from the media in terms of um, profiling it was, was fantastic. So that was 
a really different um, element of producing. And actually, during this lockdown time, I've I've always been interested in audio work, and that has definitely sort of fleshed out um, during this time. I mean, I've, I'm working with you guys and and doing this this brilliant podcast. Um, it's allowed me to continue to work through this this lockdown period. So, and then you know, I'm still doing bits and bobs with um, Talawa. We're, we're working on our new Tales from the Frontline project that's going to um, drop in a few weeks' time. And so, yeah, no no day is the same. Um, even in lockdown. Even in lockdown, yeah. <laughs> and before lockdown, you know, I was doing the show of Talawa. I was also working on small one-man and one-woman projects, which I really love because it means that I work really, really closely with the creative, with, with the person that's um, doing doing the writing. And it's a, it's a really kind of um, close relationship um working on a small scale project like that and I really really enjoy that it kind of gets my creative juices flowing I'm I'm not the kind of producer that just sits and looks at the budget and looks at that bottom line I need to kind of be involved in the creative process so yeah it's um it's quite varied but but as I said before I, I like it that way so and Hazel for you you've worked with some huge names uh, what's it like working with actors like John Biego for example and also what would a typical day look like for you <laughs> there is no typical day um, and you know I, I have to big up and I always do um, that I worked with Letitia Wright um, on her first um, theatre production I think it was her first one at the Gate Theatre um, eclipsed at the Gate. And um, so that's when I met Letitia. And then, you know, and then we've worked together since. And it was actually a, her recommendation that got me the um, job on Small Acts, of course, after, inter you know, two interviews later. But um, it was Letitia that brought them you know, to, that brought me to their attention. So, um, yeah, and so for me, you know, when you work with someone who has the work ethic that she has and that has the focus that she has, it's just about support, as much support as possible and you do your part and you do your job and that's the bottom line, you know, because um, ultimately I know you know, that there are some actors that I work with that will choose the roles and choose the stories that they tell because the story absolutely is necessary but also is a very personal, some kind of connection to them. Or, or So for me, it's just about doing the best job that I can in order that they can do the best job that they can do. Um, but in terms of, you know, worked with John on Small Acts last year, and of course he's, um, him and Letitia know each other very well. And so it's, you know what, ultimately, people are just people. And, you know, I worked with Damien Lewis on, um, when we did The Goat or Hugh is Sylvia, along with Sophia Canedo. And it's just, if you, as um, part of the creative team, start giving, I don't know, some kind of leeway to people about the fact that they're a star and you're not, or you know, it's like you're just not, you, 
I'm an expert in what I do, even though I'm a young person within the kind of like the field of dialect coaching, I'm still the expert in comparison to what your knowledge possibly is, you know, unless you have lived experience of things. So, um, and there's still, and, the, and I always think it's about, it's a two way um, road, you know what I mean? So I've got something that I can offer you, you've got something I, you can offer me. And so, and also, I just know from my years of being an actor that you can't do your own work if you are treating someone or putting someone on a pedestal. You just have to get on with the work. And so people are people. And actually, if I'm honest, the people who don't want to be put on a pedestal and who just want to walk, walk and talk with you are always, for me, the best people <laughs> to actually just be working with. I was going to ask you, how important is it in your career journey to work and produce black-led plays? And has there been any barriers um, that you've both faced in your career as black creatives? So that's for both of you. Um, barriers. I mean, the first few stories that I told um, were, were black-led plays. And um, it was a really great standing for me. So when I, when I decided to sort of... Um, formalize my being a producer because you know I'd, I'd worked front of house I'd worked back of house I'd done this and that I'd worked for an agent for a bit I'd worked in casting and it was at this point that you know I had friends sort of saying oh you know you've had all this experience you know can you can you help produce my show and I'd never done it before I don't know what a producer does what, what how do I how do I formalize this and um I was lucky enough to be accepted on um a bursary um placement at the bush called project 2036 um which was about um giving um space for um people of color getting them into buildings so they team you up with a writer a director they team up a writer director and producer for a year it's broken into um three phases phase one you shadowed um your department phase two you assisted and phase three you then produce something in what was at that point the new studio at the bush after their refurb and um we i was on the first year of of that of that versity which was um really really fantastic and so lucky because it was as the bush was reopening their building and um they had uh, a whole season called black lives black words and it was incredible and I was, uh, there was lots of different um, elements to to the season, but I was overseeing the one piece called, um, the, well, the Sandra Bland project, which um, Montessola Adebayo had transcribed from that awful scene that I'm sure many of us have seen. And her vision for it was a, a hundred strong women um, flash mob of it. We could get a hundred women into the, into the bush at that time. So I think we had, we aimed to sort of, 25 to 30 women and from the community um, which I then sourced and, and brought in and we had seven um, seven professional act actors to play the role of Sandra so you know the likes of Sarah Niles and Akia Henry and Indra Ove it was just it was just incredible and I think from for that for me being my first ever sort of I mean I was shadowing it but um, my mentors while I was at the bush um, Sophie Skull, me Sophie Watson and Lisa, Lisa Bell, you know, they just sort of said, what what do you want to do? And I just said, just throw me in at the deep end. And they they really just gave me, um, uh, handed it over to me and said, well, you know, you can run with that, which was just brilliant. And I loved 
just getting stuck in and it was just seeing the response to people um, that people had of that piece and how and the impact that it made really just made me realize the importance of the stories that we that we need to tell and so um, my first sort of freelancing um, production was a one-woman show with um, Ayo Dele Edwards. It's her story. It's called Becoming. We worked on that from its inception when she when it was a TED, TEDx talk through to um, through it being produced at um, the brilliant Stratford Circus Art Centre. And um, I really enjoyed that process because we were telling stories we're telling our own stories we're seeing the effect it had on other people seeing their stories on that stage which was just people coming up to us in tears at the end just saying this is my story this is I just couldn't um I couldn't put it into words and seeing it back at me just has given me um the impetus to write something of my own to write a poem to write my own play um yeah it's uh it's really important but what I I I I truly don't think I've actually come across any boundaries. I think when the story is true, when you're and you and if you are true to the story, um, you find the right people to join with you and produce it. So um, Ashley Nielsen at um, Stratford Arts Centre, she's she's I think she's now moved up to the Liverpool Everyman. She we pitched it at a thing called Pitch Up at Oval House. She she was with us right from the start and championed that piece and helped us um, with our Arts Council application and, and got us to produce it there, you know. So it's that thing of having... Um, the right people the who right are people, supportive. The right people who are, support, who are supportive. And I have to say, everything that I've done, all the different projects that I've done, have had just had the right people um, support it and really push us forward and champion us and help us. At every stage, you know, with, with writing up, um, funding applications right through to giving a space um, to to R&D it, rehearse and develop it you know it's uh, it's it's been it's been a good journey I have to say it's been a really good journey and, it, and, and that's refreshing to hear because I think it's important what you're what you say highlights this importance of having the um, right people like champion your work basically yeah. and like you know enable the resources that you need to do your thing and do it well but it's about sometimes you don't have the right people and that's where the barriers come that's it yeah yeah what about you hazel just briefly all i can say is that it's quite incredible that now i have small acts and steve mcqueen on my cv how things have changed yeah and i kind of want to say sometimes to people i was good enough for you before i was constantly told i would go up for television things and i was constantly saying mm, but you don't have another television on your on your cv and i'd be like well of course i don't unless i get one you know so that so, conundrum of like having you you don't have that experience but i need that experience to get that experience it seems like no matter what stage of your career that yeah. kind of conundrum comes up every time Absolutely. And so I just think just, um, you know, in my interviews, um, I never met Steve before I started, you know, um, the auditions, but um, it never came up that I hadn't done a television. It was more about what have you done rather than what haven't you done? You know, so that says a lot for the producers that I know that were working around him you know, at that time. So, um, so yeah. All right, so switching gears in a kind of quick fire moment, we both, um, we asked you to think about 
um, some unsung heroes or a, a person that has been um, important to your practice, basically, or your journey in some way. So we'd love to just hear their name and a little bit about them. And hopefully folks can go find out more about them after the episode. So we'll start with you, um, Alison. Who have you chosen as your unsung or maybe sung hero to give some flowers to today? It's to give flowers, actually. And so for me, I just want to quickly mention two names. One is um, a writer, Hannah Khalil. She was the writer that I was um, paired, joined with on the Bushed um, Project 2036. We were on that bursary together. And it's like that thing of fate brought, brought me a friend for life. Um, and she is an incredible writer. Um, she, she's biracial. She's um, part Palestinian, half Irish. And she really writes through her lens, um, her Palestinian lens, just beautifully and has opened my my eyes and knowledge to um to uh the Palestinian world. But she um she is a supporter, she's a champion, she lifts me up, we lift each other up. Outside of when we finished the bush, we collaborated on a on a project, um, an audio project um last year, I think it was, which was just a joy. And we're we're desperate to work with each other again. And the other person is Ton Minyevu, um, who's an actor, writer, director, um, and we've been working on his one-man show, um, Comrades, Mugabe, my father and me. And I love Tondurai, and he's another person who I love just being on the phone to him. I love meeting with him. He, we lift each other up, we make each other laugh. Um, we're great collaborators. Um, he's somebody that I can just speak to and just sort of offload if I need to, or just ha find inspiration from and vice versa. So it's people like that in my life, um, in, in my personal life, but also we can we can talk shop um, and, both equally that I really, really value and find really important um, to keep those people close to me. And it's, it would have been too easy to say my sister. She comes at the top of that part. She's the one that got me Aww. into this producing thing. She was the one that put me in touch with Io to start with her um, one woman show because she'd done a radio show with Io. So my sister's always pushing me forward and always pushing me into um, meeting people and I think she was the, even the one that got me in contact with Michael Buffon for Talawa. I mean it's ridiculous it's just constant and there are, there are times where she'll just say oh by the way so and so is going to email you about this job and I'm like what what do you, what do you mean I don't even <laughs> so it would be too easy to say her but she's at the top of that pile for sure beautiful i mean and hazel let's face it we know you're going to say allison so somebody else let's not say <laughs> allison aside from allison obviously who is your your person that has lifted you up in your career that you want to just quickly mention so i'm um, i've got two people um because I've, i've i want to i know i mentioned letitia because she very quietly um has just taken me from job to job to job. I've basically done every job with her except Black Panther because, of course, the big studios had their own idea about who was going to do that, and rightly so, you know. Um, but um, I just want to kind of, like, publicly say. But also um, Sarah Niles, um, someone that we phone and we can just have real talk with each other, and we always even if we're down like during lockdown you know and those moments when you're struggling you can still leave each other feeling uplifted because you've released something with each other and she um just always always encourages me as a voice and dialect coach and she has worked with lots of people and she's you know a fabulous actor and and has done a lot of stuff but you know, as a voice and dialect coach, you don't normally go and see other people 
being a voice and dialect coach and she is someone that will really uh, and has really helped me to feel on an even keel when I didn't feel like I was on an even keel as a young kind of like uh, a toddler within the industry and um, and so you know we'll be dancing whenever we see each other you know what I mean and we're always just like making each other laugh so so our relationship yeah is just is all is just based on beauty us towards the end of our conversation which would be what word of advice would you give anyone that's looking to get into producing and dialect coaching so just one piece of advice you wish you knew before what would you give them to someone who wants to enter your industry oh you know what i'm gonna say for dialect coaching we need more black and brown bodies to be dialect coaches your best friend at the moment is listening skills so listen spend a lot of time listening don't be in your head be in your body and 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 think about how dialect um and how you can learn this whole kind of like um gosh i'm just trying to think of the word how you can kind of like enter into this from a place of joy you start to build your own way of teaching and coaching because there have been very specific ways previously but I I think we have to kind of like go to what our strengths are as individuals and as a people which is you know we are social beings and it takes a village and we support each other thank you and last but by no means least Alison (laughs) well I would just quickly say there's no one route into producing ask any producer that and they'll tell you the same thing Um, and you can bring so many of your own skills um, into producing there are so many schemes that are out there lots of theatres do lots of different things um, for for that there definitely needs to be more black producers I would um, urge anybody to sign up to Talawa Make um, is a really great place to get into the world of just relating with other creatives but on there there is postings of all the opportunities that could be available to you and also black theatre live do the same thing they post a lot of opportunities on there great advice thank you thank and you and the last thing i just wanted to ask you could you just let us know what your social um channels are so that we can get people <laughs> you'll you'll need to ask ali for mine oh god because <laughs> uh, i'm rubbish i don't even remember what your one is but if you go onto hazelholder.com her her um links are on there and because Alison's just... done my website as well. Oh, Alison's like uh, your PA. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> as well as a producer, she's yeah, she totally just helps to run my online life. Love thing. it. Okay, where do we find you, Alison? And I'm just Al Al underscore Holder. I think that's for both Instagram and um, actually no, sorry, my Instagram is private, but my Twitter is public, so it's just Al Al Holder Al underscore Holder. And you've got Luna yeah. Productions as well. And Luna Productions, yeah, Luna Prod um, is where you'll find me sort of talking about anything audio love it amazing it's been a pleasure thank you so much both thank you so much for blessing us with your sisterly love it's warmed my heart so (laughs) so much so we hope folks thank you 
so we hope that you all have enjoyed this episode i know that we have tune in next Mm -hmm. time as we catch up with natalie ibu former artistic director of Teatro for Hunsi and now newly appointed artistic director at Northern Stage. We can't wait to hear about her journey so far and how she's settling into the post. Catch us fortnightly. Episodes will be available everywhere you get your podcasts, including iTunes and Spotify. And don't forget to follow ETT on at ETT Tweet on Twitter and at English Touring Theatre on Instagram.